to help you. Okay, on to today's message. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. We're going to be looking at the rather uncomfortable story of Peter's denial of Jesus. Some of you will be familiar with this story. It's a really uncomfortable story. It will make you squirm and it will make you think, this is rather like me. And we're not going to just leave it at the uncomfortable bit, though, as we're going to see the whole story and we're going to see it's a really glorious story. It's a heartwarming story and it will make us want to worship Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm sure it will make you think, this Jesus is amazing and you'll want to know more about him. Let me set the scene for you. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're getting ready for the Passover festival. There's thousands of people in the city. Jesus is growing in popularity. People have, hit, have heard of his miracles. They've witnessed his miracles. And now they're, they're, they're really, they love Jesus. But there's some people who are jealous of Jesus' popularity and influence, and they want to get rid of him. And Jesus knows this, and he knows that the net is tightening around him, and the time is coming soon where he's going to be betrayed by one of his friends, and he's going to be arrested, trialed, and crucified. He knows this is happening. He's called his disciples together for a last meal. He's told them, one of you is going to betray me. He shared with them bread and wine. They've had this communion together. He said that you're going to do this in remembrance of me. And then we pick up in verse 31. After the disciples have been kind of speculating, who is it that's going to betray Jesus? Who's the one that's going to do this horrible thing? This is where we pick up the story. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. This is what Jesus says. He's referring to Peter, whose original name was Simon. Jesus liked to change people's names sometimes. We see that in the Old Testament. Abraham becomes Abraham. When God says, you're going to be called father of many now. Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. And he says, you're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build the church. And so he's using Peter's old name here. He's sort of hinting, I think, that Peter might be going back to some of his old ways. He says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. We're now going to fast forward to verse 54. Jesus has taken his disciples to a place called the Mount of Olives where they've been praying. Jesus has said to them, stay awake and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And all the disciples pray all night. No, they don't. They all fall asleep. And Jesus carries on praying. And then in verse 54, Jesus gets arrested. And it says this, they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. He had the same accent 
as Jesus. He sounded like a country boy. He's a fisherman. He can't hide his accent. He must be one of them. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. It's a really dark night. It's a dark night for Jesus as he begins the torture that he's about to endure for many hours. It starts to begin for Jesus, this torture. It's a dark night for Jesus. It's a dark night as they start to hurl insults at him. He overhears one of his best friends denying that he even knows him. I expect that hurt even more than the insults that these soldiers were hurling at him. It's a dark night for Peter. Just hours ago, he's saying confidently to Jesus, I will never betray you. I will go to prison for you. I will go to my grave for you. And just a few hours later, he's cowering before a girl and saying, I don't even know this guy. It's a really dark night for Peter. And now he's swearing and saying, I, I don't even, I, we can't even repeat what he's saying. He's, he's swearing, I do not even know this man. And as I said earlier, we see ourselves in Peter, don't we? We see ourselves in this kind of brave declaration, Lord, I will never do that again. And just hours later, we're doing it again. Oh, Lord, I finally put this behind me. I'm never going to struggle in that area. And then weeks later, we're finding ourselves falling again. We can see ourselves in Peter. We can see ourselves in Peter as he caves to pressure. As he caves to pressure where people are, are saying, you know Jesus, don't you? He's saying, no, no, I don't even know him. And he's kind of fearful of what people think of him. It can be a crushing moment when that happens, can't it? When we think, I really thought I'd finally dealt with that, and now I've fallen again. And sometimes it can take days or weeks or months. Some even takes years to kind of get over that, thinking, could God ever forgive me for that? It was a crushing moment for Peter as he wept bitterly. And some of us, we may even be feeling like, I've done something years ago, and I don't think God could ever forgive me for that. I don't think he could ever let that go. It can ruin our confidence before God. It can make us joyless when we think, I did that, and I should never have gone there. I should never have done it. And as we're going to see today, today is really, really relevant for us, because we are like Peter in so many ways. And as we're going to see, as the story unfolds, it's beautiful how it ends. But first, we're going to just consider quickly five lessons from Peter's failure. Number one is this. You have an enemy who is out to tear you apart. Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. That's not a phrase we use right now. It's basically saying Satan has asked to tear you apart. You have an enemy. You have an adversary if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you have an enemy who hates you, who wants to tear your faith apart, who wants to steal you of your joy, who wants to rob you of your confidence, who wants to make you miserable, who wants to uh, lead you away from God. You have an adversary. You have one who really hates God and he hates you and he wants to harm you. Satan is real. Demons are real. There is an unseen spiritual battle raging in the world 
and you have an enemy who really wants to tear you apart. Some of you might be thinking, you cannot, you cannot believe that. You cannot believe that there's this kind of awful stuff going on under the surface of things. Well, I believe Jesus and, and Jesus says that there is. In fact, in this passage, we've just seen Judas being uh, so deeply tempted by Satan. And now we see Jesus saying, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. We believe Jesus here. And so we believe Jesus. Jesus sees this going on. We believe him. As unpopular as it may be today to believe that there are uh, sinister th- uh, forces at work in the world. We believe Jesus. And understanding this, understanding that we're going to be personally attacked at times, and personally tempted, understanding that there is a a whole system at play that is opposed to Jesus, which the Bible calls the world, understanding these things, the Bible calls us to be sober-minded, to be alert. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, a book written by Peter 30 years after this, which kind of gives us a hint that things turn out all right for Peter, he says, be sober-minded and alert Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So so Peter kind of has learned some lessons here. And the story does end well, as we're going to see. But he says, be alert, be sober-minded. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't kind of of get caught out off guard here. Be sober-minded, be alert. So we have an enemy who's out to tear us apart. Secondly, when you think you're standing strong, you're vulnerable. When you think you're standing strong, you're vulnerable. The first step towards Peter's failure was his confidence in himself. Lord, I would never do that. Lord, I will go to to prison with you. He felt so confident in himself and in his own strength. And that was the first step towards his failure. Because he thought, I could never do that. I could never fail like that. I could never fail. I would never go there. Sometimes you hear about someone's failure and you think, I would never do that. I would never go there. That would never be a problem for me. When you think you're standing strong, you're vulnerable. In 1 Corinthians 10 and and, uh, verse 12, we read this. It's as clear as day. It says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So maybe you're in that place right now and you think, I'm doing pretty well. I'm in a good place with God. I'm walking with him day by day. I'm reading my Bible regularly. I'm praying. I'm flowing. I'm just enjoying God's presence day by day. If you're standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. That's when you're perhaps at your most vulnerable, actually. When you think, I'm just starting to put some confidence in my doing well. I'm I'm measuring up here. Be careful that you do not fall. This is a lesson for us. What Peter thought was in him was not actually in him when the trial came. It's a lesson for us that the best of men are men at best. We're frail creatures, frail to temptation, vulnerable to temptation. Peter, just think about it for a moment. Peter was one of the most privileged men to have ever walked the planet. I can think of Peter, James, and John. The, the kind of three closest disciples of Jesus, they got to see everything. There was not one kind of amazing miracle they didn't get to witness. They got special kind of attention with Jesus. John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus really loved. They, they kind of got this, this 
access to Jesus. I can think of them three, and I can think of probably Mary, the mother of Jesus, who got that much access to Jesus, who, who kind of got to see the, the kind of inner, inner workings, as it were. And Peter, the privileged one, he fell. He fell when the moment of trial came. Peter's fall says to us, we too are weak when we trust in ourselves. When we, when we think we've got it, when we think we're standing strong, we mustn't put confidence in ourselves. We must put our confidence only in Jesus and day by day say, Jesus, lead us not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Peter was prayerless, wasn't he? <laughs> Jesus said, stay awake and pray that you don't get led into temptation. He was prayerless because he thought, oh, I'm all right. When the moment comes, I'm going to be okay. When we, when we think we're standing strong, when we, not, when we think we're not vulnerable to temptation, we'll be prayerless. And actually, we need to see even Peter could fall. Even the privileged Peter could fall, and therefore I could too. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God for strength. The third thing we learn is that fear of man catches up with you eventually. Peter feared what people thought of him. When you fear what people think of you more than you uh, care about what God thinks about you, then that's called the fear of man. And the Bible says it's a snare. It's a trap that you can get caught up in. And we're going to actually do a sermon series on fear later in the year, and we're going to cover this a little more. But Peter had the fear of man. And this was a, a problem for Peter even later on in life, even after he's restored, as we're going to see in just a moment. He becomes this, this great apostle. Uh, he fathers many churches. And even later in his life, fear of man is still an issue because some people who are not from a Jewish background start to become Christians, which is amazing. The, the gospel, the good news goes to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and they're not particularly keen on the idea of circumcision, understandably, and they're quite keen on eating uh, bacon and ham, understandably. And so uh, the, the kind of, some of the Jewish Christians have an issue with this. How are we going to have fellowship with these guys? Because they don't do the same uh, things that we do in terms of uh, ceremonial cleanliness. And Peter, he's okay with it. He starts to eat with the non-Jewish Christians and have fellowship with them. And then these guys rock up in town called the Judaizers, and they're really keen that anyone who becomes a Christian should get circumcised and should stop eating bacon and ham and so on. And Peter's like, right, guys, there's some other guys rocked up in town. We've, I know we've had a really nice meal, but can you just not tell them that I've been eating with you? You enjoy the bacon. I've got to go now. He's fearful, of what, he's fearful of what these guys think of him. There's, a, there's even later on in life, there's a, a fear of man thing. And he has to be, the Apostle Paul has to kind of rebuke him on this. Had to see him face to face and say, this is not right, Peter. This is not right. The fear of man catches up with us eventually if we, if we don't root it out and deal with it. And we will go into more depth on this in the, in the months to come. But listen, we need to know what God thinks of us. We need to... Uh, steep our minds in the truth of what God thinks about us, that the, the person whose opinion matters more than anything else in the world, that he sees us, he loves us, we're his children, and that is the ultimate identity. It's not trying to be the funny one or trying to be the cool one, not trying to be the one that fits in, that people look to, that people respect, that people applaud. We, we need to steep our minds in the truth of what God says about us. Fear of man will catch up with us eventually. Number four, God knows you're human. That's good news. <laughs> this is really good news. I want you to hear this today. God knows you are human. He never had any illusions about you when he took you on. He's not like someone who buys a puppy and thinks, what on earth did I do? 
I've got to train this thing now. I've got to clean up after it. What was I thinking? He didn't take you on and think, right, as soon as they've put their faith in me, they're going to be perfect forever now. They're never going to mess up. They're never going to need my grace and my mercy. Now, God never had any illusions about you in the first place. He knows you are human. He knows that the best of men are men at best. He never had any illusions about you. You are adopted by him. If you've come to know Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, you are adopted by God. That is the pinnacle of salvation. You are adopted by God the Father. You have a perfect father who will never let you go. A perfect father whose hand you can never be plucked from. No one can prize you away because he's got a firm grip on you. That is good news. And he never had any illusions about you that you would suddenly be perfect when you came to be his son or daughter. He's not disillusioned with you when you fail. He's not suddenly thinking, what was I thinking? Why did I take them on? I'm going to let them go now. No, he loves you. Your acceptance in him was never about measuring up. It was never, your acceptance by him was never about your measuring up. It was about Jesus and how he measured up. And it's in him that we are adopted. It's in him that we're secure. It's in him that we are loved forever. And we're not going to be let go by God when we mess up. He never had any illusions about you in the first place. He loves you. He has chosen to pour his love about, out on you. He's chosen to do that. And we're securing him because Jesus... Jesus never failed. In his great trial, in his moment of great trial, Jesus never failed. We see this here. Peter failed, but Jesus did not. You fail, Jesus never fails. That gives us confidence before God because Jesus is our confidence before God and he's never failed. Jesus measured up and he never failed. In the moment of trial, he could have got out of it at any moment. He could have said, I'm not going through with this. This is too much. The moment they started mocking him and hurling abuse at him, he could have given up. But he never failed in his moment of trial. He never turned back and said, that's enough now. Surrounded by bloodthirsty enemies as they're mocking him and hitting him, teasing him, he turns even to Peter. He thinks about Peter in that moment. Isn't that amazing? He thinks about Peter with a look that says, I still love you, Peter. A look that would have been heart-piercing and heart-healing all at once. Even as they're getting ready to tie him up and whip him, Jesus looks over at Peter and says, I still love you. Just with that look, I still love you, Peter. Jesus never failed. He never failed in his moment of great trial. This was the plan of God, that he would go to the cross and die in our place, a death that we deserve for the hundreds, the thousands of times that we fail, the hundreds, the thousands of times that we cave to pressure, that we think about what other people think of us more highly than what God thinks of us. For those many, many times that we fail, Jesus went to the cross and he did it for you and I. All hail King Jesus. He did it for us, friends. And he dies on the cross. He says, it is finished. And two days later, on the third day, there's a miraculous breath. 
<laughs> he rises again. The ladies go to the tomb. They discover that Jesus is not there. He's risen from the grave. And they send for Peter and John. I love this. You read it in John's gospel. Peter and John leg it to the grave. Peter says, I've got to go and see this. I've got to see Jesus. And the, and the Bible describes that John's a faster runner. And then he gets to the tomb first. And Peter bashes him out of the way. He's got to go in and see. He's got to go in and see Jesus. And Jesus is risen from the grave. He's not there. And the disciples are told, go to Galilee, where it all began for them. Go to Galilee, and Jesus is going to meet them there. And this is where we pick it up in John chapter 21. We're going to head there now if you have a Bible with you. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now I think at this point, Peter, he knows that Jesus could still love him and forgive him. But I think he has accepted, I'm never going to be trusted with anything now. So I'm going to go back to what I used to do. I've got to go fishing again. I think, that's, I think he's kind of got to this point of, I've not got it in me. And so I'm going back to the fishing. This is old business. Listen, going back is useless. Once you've seen Jesus, once you've known him, once you've put your faith in him, once you've walked with him, going back is futile. Just let me save you the bother. You go back and you realize it's all completely, it's worthless. Everything else that the world is running after, it's completely worthless. And Peter thinks, I'm going to go back. And they all say, we'll come too. He's a leader, isn't he? We'll all come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Doesn't this remind you of the time when Jesus called Peter in the first place? Put your net out. Let's see what happens. And then the disciple Jesus loved, this is John, what he, how he referred to himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. Who does that? Who sees Jesus and gets dressed and then jumps into the water while Peter does that? He's impulsive. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a hundred yards from shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. And they get 153 fish. And Jesus cooks them breakfast. Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> All of these disciples, apart from one of them, John, have abandoned him in his hour of need. Peter has denied him. And Jesus says, I'm going to cook you breakfast. And in that culture, when you cook for someone, when you eat with them, there's a, there's a real understanding that you accept that person. This is why Jesus got into so much trouble, because he sat and he ate with people who society had deemed sinners and losers. And he cooks them breakfast and he sits with them, says, I accept you. Listen, Jesus accepts us not on the basis of our measuring up, but on the basis of our faith in him. 
Our faith in, in his perfection, and our faith in his faithfulness, we are accepted. There's important conversation to come, but that's, that's not where it starts. It starts with breakfast. It starts with friendship. It starts with, I accept you. I love you. He receives them. He, he lavishes upon them undeserved love and favor. Let's see how this story finishes. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think they've gone for a little walk along the beach at this point. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, can you see what Jesus is doing here? A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Friends, Jesus asked Peter three times here to take Peter back to that moment of denial. He doesn't do it to condemn Peter and to leave him in condemnation. He does it to dig it up and to do the deep heart work. Jesus doesn't avoid the deep heart work. He wants to put his finger on some things sometimes so that it can be totally rooted out, totally dealt with, so that you can flourish. He has in mind Peter's flourishing. And boy, did Peter flourish. He, didn't, he wasn't perfect, but he flourished. And he knows, I've got to deal with this. I can't leave this undealt with. I can't leave this undealt with. I believe as we respond in worship in just a moment, I wonder if the band can come and be uh, ready to, to lead us in a final song. I believe that Jesus is going to do some deep heart work. I believe he's going to do that today. I believe he's going to put his finger on some things and root out some things and say, do you love me? We're going to declare our love for Jesus. We're going to pour out our devotion to him in song. Jesus doesn't avoid doing this deep heart work. He, he, wants to, he wants you to flourish. He's got work for you to do. He wants you on the field. He wants Peter on the field. He says, come on, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs and tend my sheep. I want you to, to play a key role in my church. And Peter does. He becomes an elder of a local church. He becomes an apostle, a father to many, many churches. And eventually that fear of man issue in Peter's life, it gets dealt with. This verse that we've just read and history teaches us that Peter would one day die on a cross. And there was a moment where Peter could have denied he knew Jesus to save himself from being crucified. There was a moment where they said, if you only recant and, and say that you don't believe in Jesus, you can spare your life. And he says, no, I want to die upside down. I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. And they crucify him upside down. Finally, that, that fear of man issue is being dealt with. He's, I, I don't care what people think of me. I'm Jesus as I belong to him. And he closed his eyes on this life 
and opened his life, opened his eyes on the next life. And who's he face to face with again? Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Welcome. Welcome home. Friends, that's what we have awaiting us. The face to face with Jesus. The welcome home. That's good news, isn't it? We're going to get that with Jesus. He's worthy of our whole life. He's worthy of us giving our all to him. Of us making it all about him. This is true, friends. Maybe you're here today and you think, I don't know if this is true. I don't know why any major character in this story would want their their failure to be broadcast like this. (laughs) The Gospel of Mark is probably written by Peter with Mark writing it down. And it's the the most brutal account of Peter's denial. (laughs) It doesn't hold back any details. Peter knew it had been thoroughly dealt with by Jesus, thoroughly forgiven. He wasn't afraid to show his failings because Jesus had forgiven him. Friends, this is a true story. You can know this Jesus today. You can give your life to him today. As we sing, you can give your life to him. So let's stand where we are. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and then it will be time to wrap up. Father God, we thank you that you are here amongst us. You are moving in our midst. And we thank you that you know our frailty. You know, Lord, that we will fail you. And yet you're not disillusioned by our failure. You've set your love upon us. You've adopted us. You've taken us on. You've got work for us to do. Lord, you want us on the field, as it were. You've got great things for us, Lord. We want to just say, Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. We want to lavish our worship upon you right now. High King of Heaven, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, that right now you would reveal yourself to them, even as we sing, that your love would flow over them and that you'd bring them on, you'd bring them into your family, bring them up for this adventure of a lifetime. We want to put to death the fear of man in our lives, Lord. Pray that you do some hard work right now. As we sing and as even as we mingle afterwards, would you do things in our hearts that you want to do today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Over to Corey and the team.